Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Once we now understand again that the issue is this workflow, the huge realization you have is that you're not going to fix these problems in your inbox. Right. You're not going to fix these problems by having better uh, inbox etiquette. You're not going to fix it with batching. You're not going to fix it with turning off notifications. You're certainly not going to fix it by saying, I'm just not going to use email because if the hyperactive hive mind is how your organization works right now, if you're not an email, you're not collaborating. You're, everything's going to get stuck. It's not going to work. You're going to either get fired or forced back on the email again. So once you realize it's the workflow is the problem, you realize, oh, if we're going to solve this, we have to go below the inbox and fix the underlying processes. And that's the huge message in this book is that if you actually go through and list out, these are actually the processes that are relevant to my job or my work. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Hey, everybody. It's Srini and Gareth. Welcome back to the Unmistakable Creativity Hour or Unmistakable Creativity slash Happy Hour. How many drinks have you had so far, Gareth? Uh, this is number one, man. All right. I'm on number two. Somehow I'm always ahead of you, at least in this. But probably <laughs> I should I should aspire to be ahead of you in some other metric. This is not a good metric to optimize by. The, uh, this isn't this isn't the one that you want to set your watch to. Let's let's pick no, up some no, other no. ones. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm all about you know focusing on, on metrics that you can control. And, you know, you can control this, but it's probably not an ideal metric to measure your life by the number yeah. of how many glasses, how many glasses of wine ahead of you are, you know, of your friend are you? Yeah, I don't think that's a KPI that any businesses grow on. No, 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 me either. Um, but, you know, somehow I'm always ahead of you on that. So clearly, maybe maybe we should, I, I, you know, maybe that, that's a sign since your business is growing like wildfire and you know, we're, <laughs> you know, talking about all sorts of random shit here. Uh, anyways. So today we're going to talk about a subject that's near and dear to both of our hearts. I mean, you've built a business probably literally kind of off of these ideas. Um, and what prompted this, uh, believe it or not, was a listener question. So take a listen. I would love to know how you manage to keep track of all of the different advice you're getting from your coach or the book or the website and how many browser tabs do you have open right now? And like, how do you keep track of all of that? How do you keep updated with all of that? How do you find anything that's some great advice that you want to get back to later? 
Um, the minute that it's like off of my plate, I can't find it again. And I'm always trying to find a path back into like where I was before. Because you're starting and stopping. And I have a million tabs open right now. And I am terrified of closing any of them because I am midway through so many different things. So yes, how do you all manage that? How do you manage the chaos of everything you're trying to learn and absorb? <laughs> how? That was a great question. I mean, I so yeah. that, that came from Mary Kelly. And uh, she's Thanks, actually Mary Kelly. Team. Yeah, she's one of our community members. And right when I heard it, I was like, oh, perfect. Thank you, Mary. You gave us an idea for an episode. See, this is what happens if you actually call and leave a voicemail. We'll do an entire episode just dedicated to your problem. That's right. Can you believe that? Um, but this is actually a problem that we can talk about for an entire hour. We could probably do an entire series on this. Yeah. Oh, well, like you said already, um, you know, I practically built my business around this very concept. So, yeah, we could we could definitely rap about this for ages. Well, so I, I think, you know, what's interesting is that we're kind of in this sort of bizarre stage. You and I were kind of on that, like, straddling line between millennial and whatever you call our generation. Do they call us Gen right. Y or something? I, I don't no, know. Um, no, 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 we're, no. It's uh, Gen X. We're between Gen X and millennials. So yeah, some because people we say that to we be... belong to Xennials, which is like the yeah. hybrid. Well, yeah, we are kind of hybrid because we're 40. Like we didn't grow up with the internet native, but we kind of right. saw it get built when yeah. we were of age to like be very influenced by things in popular culture. We were in college and you know, when we saw this yeah. being built um, and it's funny. I don't know because, about you, but I played internet video games in high school. Did you, did you have a modem with like AOL where no, your mom picked the only, up the, oh, the phone? Only, the, I had the modem with AOL and I chatted with people randomly. Oh, yeah. I think that was in 10th grade, but the only thing I used the internet for in high school, we talked about before looking at pictures of Pamela Anderson. Huh. Um, yeah, I mean, there are worse was, things. Yeah. Uh, too bad I didn't figure out like, yo, Yahoo, you know, something useful. Uh, <laughs> right. Too bad we weren't employee number seven at Google, but you know, it's okay. Yeah, We're making yeah. up for it now. Exactly. But uh, the thing about that is that that problem was not really an issue for us back then because right. I don't even remember browser tabs like in the Netscape days. Uh, whether we I don't think you could not. even have tabs. I don't think you yeah. could. Well, see, what's funny now is they actually make extensions that will shut down all of your tabs. So Mary asked a good question. How many tabs do we have open right now? How many tabs do you have open? Uh, so I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight tabs open right now. Only two of them pertain to what I'm actually doing right now. And I should close the rest. <laughs> Um, well, well, and well, okay. A little context there. Before we started recording, I was building a new thumbnail for my video that's going to publish to YouTube tomorrow. I'm building out a new course, so I was outlining stop that. Stop making excuses. Just admit that you're distracted. And oh, right, I'm distracted. You know what? I don't even. What are we doing right now? What are we doing? Wait, this yeah. is happy hour or something? Well, ah, hell, I don't know. Something. Like, well, I, I mean, okay. First off, yeah, I, I have three open right now. But Ooh, that's I was, good. Confession: I, I, I was late because I had. A bunch of apps open. I was trying. I was pull. I was literally on SpeakPipe downloading Mary's clip, pulling clips from Descript. I should have right, done that right. earlier. You know? um, so despite the fact that we talk about this, it doesn't mean we're not, you know, we're immune to the same challenges that all of you mm -hmm. face. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But I think the thing is that we have learned how to design systems, both for our own purposes to mm -hmm. actually deal with this issue. Um, but before we talk tactically 
about you know information overload like and how we manage this sort of overwhelm and chaos that I think everybody is feeling right I mean you got text messages coming at you you got um you know browser windows open you got emails you got social media like it's just we're, we're drowning in a sea of noise and so what Mary's feeling is is actually completely normal I I doubt she's alone you know in terms of dealing with this issue of oh I have all these things that I want to learn and I want to remember and then right. I have 200 different sources how the hell do I organize all of this, right? So we talked a little bit about this. We're like, you know, right now, one of the big issues for most people is that they spend the as much time organizing information as they do doing something with that information. Mm-hmm. So as a result, you get less out of it. Um, so I think that, that that makes a perfect segue to talk about sort of the, the foundation of this episode, which, you know, we said we're going to talk about a couple of things. One are the downsides of information overload, the, the consequences of it. And how it affects us in different ways uh, negatively, uh, not just in terms of productivity. There are a lot of other negative effects of information overload that we don't actually think about. Um, but then we're going to talk about the, the positives of reducing it and what happens when you reduce it. Like a lot of really cool things happen. And then we'll give you some strategies for how we do this and you know how we manage all this chaos because we both have different ways of doing this. And that takes us back to last week's episode that don't you don't want to follow our advice to the letter. You mm-hmm. want to look for sort of underlying principles in what we're telling you. And modify them accordingly, because yep. what works for one person may not work for another. Um, so we want to give you some just guidelines for how to think about this, because it is absolutely a big problem. I mean, all right, Gareth, so for you, what have been the negative consequences personally of information overload? Like, this is good. <laughs> Let's find out. Oh, what you- man. When I, when I get overloaded, I feel like I'm incredibly unproductive, and yeah. I tend to get like a tunnel vision. So as the, you know, for me in particular, I I could have like five, six different big projects happening at once, like that are all Mm -hmm. massive, all, you know, really paramount to, to, you know, what's happening next in my life. And if I'm not giving them equal attention, or at least, you know, showing up for all of them equally, then stuff's going to flow, you know, fall by the wayside. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's massive opportunity lost. Yeah. I mean, uh, for me, like uh, I'll tell you, it's wasting time. But uh, you know, when you talk about projects, one of the things Scott Belsky talks about is what he calls energy line prioritization. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been really helpful for me, where he says you want to prioritize the things that you're working on according to their strategic and economic value for your business or whatever it is your career. And right. so, at any given time, there'll be some things that are incredibly important, and other things that are not. So, I think one of the first keys to really dealing with this issue is you know, understanding, you know, what's important, which means you're probably gonna have to let go of a lot of things that sound interesting, sound cool that you might want to learn. Because one thing, you know, I'm all for a diversity of inputs, but then, you know, on the flip side of that, um, you have to be very careful that it's not so diverse that you're just completely scattered that you get, you know, very little out of everything that you learn as opposed to getting a lot out of one thing, right? So some people have said, you know, sometimes, and this is coming from a guy who reads multiple books a month, but sometimes you're better off just going deep into one really hard book. Like when I did The Wealth of Nations, which is a pain in the ass to read um, because (laughs) the language is archaic and, you know, it's 200 years old and it's it's dense. Um, I probably spent a good two to three weeks reading that, which is a long time for me. You know that. I mean, from how quickly I read. You're usually a couple days in a book. If If that, that. yeah. I mean, I can, I can get through most books in a day if I I want to, but, um, but the thing is that that forces you to think a lot more about the information that you're consuming, because I think there's this sort of uh, idea that, you know, oh, the more you consume, the more that you learn. 
And mm, the problem is that true. that doesn't really work. I mean, yes, because we have an abundance of content, um, you know, people believe that. But the irony of it is, you know, with the abundance of content, you have a, a scarcity of knowledge. Uh, Ronnie Chang did this uh, spe- comedi- a comedy special on, on Netflix. I don't know if you've ever seen it. And uh, there's this great session section where he goes like, who knew having access to all of human knowledge would make the entire society so stupid? <laughs> <laughs> It's like you have access to so much and yet how much of it is relevant? What's the most moronic, irrelevant thing that you watched or clicked on this week? Oh, man, I, it was probably some tabloid junk, you know, like Anna Kendrick or Will Smith or yeah, somebody, some celebrity, um, you know, did something. Yeah, the Will All Smith right. Oscars things definitely consumed like a number of clicks and everybody has an opinion about it. And 99.9% of the population does not know Will Smith personally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, isn't that whatever? Absurd? I mean, is that it is. Us? <laughs> well, didn't I, I didn't sure there was a, I remember watching a, 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 um, a segment on CNN about this and this woman, the reporter opened it up. She was like, we have a war going on in Ukraine. Right. We have like a hunger, oh. potential hunger crisis. And she's like, and this is what's dominating. And this is the damn reporter saying that in the segment about this exact thing. Right. As, as she, you know, writes art or, you know, creates news to get more clicks to yeah, yeah. make her more relevant. Ugh. It's a yeah. sickening downward spiral that we see on the Internet with an overload of information. Well, OK, so I, I'll have to to actually just be, you know, look at my YouTube history here. Um, so that I can bring up something, but, um, I'm pretty sure it was something I watched on vice news. I don't know why I really like vice news. So like when I sit down in front of my uh, TV and I put, put on YouTube, um, that's usually my first default is, Oh, let me search for vice, but let me Mm. see what we got here. Uh, Oh, so what did I watch on vice last night? Tell you yes. Well, Pamela Anderson slapping Wilson. No, 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 no. The world's most complex catfishing scam. Oh, oh, that sounds like it really moved your life forward in positive and meaningful ways. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, no question. Wow. Uh, yeah, no, but, it, but, it's... But hold on, hold on. And I don't mean to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but I know that you're a, a supporter of the fact that the brain needs downtime. So how yeah. do you differentiate between, you know, when you're just kind of like seeking entertainment versus I'm actively learning? That's a good question. And I think that that actually is a good uh, concept. Mary was in our, our habits workshop and we we talked about the role that environments play. Right. Right. So I think for me, it's where I'm at. Right. So if I'm at my desk, um, that the desk is for work. But when I'm sitting on the couch, it's, you know, OK, I sit on the couch for entertainment. Like I don't do work when I'm on the couch. I mean, I'll, you know, like anybody else, I'll pop up on my laptop and look at things on the Internet just for boredom, which is not the best sure. thing. Um, but for the most part, like if I'm sitting on the couch, that's, that's when I know, or I've changed into pajamas. Those are two Ooh, sort of okay. categories. It's like, okay, if I change my clothes, I'm no longer in work clothes. Um, <clears throat> I think you may be the only person I know who wears pajamas. Pajamas are amazingly comfortable. I never realized how comfortable they were until my sister bought me a pair. And I was, just, and keep in mind, I was like 
this was like a year or two ago. My dad's like, you're sleeping in your shorts and your jeans. Like, this is ridiculous. My sister, then I got him. I was like, these are amazing. She was like, yeah, why do you think people what? like to stay in their pajamas all are day? They footed? Or did you get footed pajamas? Is it a no, onesie no, with like the trap door in the back so that you can no, use the no, restroom? No, no, no onesies. No onesies. I mean, I'm sure I'd look sexy as hell in a onesie. But, oh, I'm sure you um, would, bro. I'm sure you but would. You'd be amazed, man. So it's, it's kind of crazy, but you feel more relaxed when you put on pajamas. Really? And Ariana Huffington actually talked about this in her book no. on uh, sleep, the sleep revolution. Yeah. She talked about how you, you want to have like a separate, uh, a boundary that basically indicates like, oh, okay. Once I'm in these clothes, yeah. you know, at this time, whatever. I mean, I, I'll tell you, even something as simple as lighting, like, you know, we have these fluorescent lights and it hadn't occurred. I don't know why up until now it never occurred to me, but you know, I have this lamp in my bedroom where the light is a lot dimmer and I'm like, why aren't we doing that in our like room where we watch TV? Like this is our relaxing time. I was like this, you know, I have two of these lamps. So I put it out here. I was like, wow, I wish we had figured this out sooner because it's a lot, you know, more pleasant um, with the site. Stuff like that makes a big difference. But I mean, I, I mean, I, if I went through my, my bookmarks, I'm sure it would be, you know, just a world of bullshit. Um, Random things (laughs) I've Googled, like, you know, I I mean, you know, I don't think I'm alone in that, you know, I mean, there's a reason Google is a billion dollar company, like billions of people are doing the exact same thing. Yeah. So not everything we do is productive. For sure. Well, and that that is for sure. But um, I think it, it speaks to the importance of sort of understanding what is worth paying attention to and what is not worth paying attention to and having some semblance of prioritization, which makes a perfect segue into a clip. So take a listen. Somewhere out there in the world, there's somebody probably working on something very similar to your idea, and they're not distracted. And I think they're going to get farther. Your idea might die, a short, slow death or a long, quick one, and theirs might succeed just because they're really engaged with it. Do you think that Michelangelo would have been able to paint the Sistine Chapel if he was checking Twitter every six seconds? There are rewards for sustained, focused attention. They aren't immediate rewards. That's the problem. I get an immediate reward if I respond to a text right now instead of later. That's one thing off my to-do list. But what we try to teach our children is delayed gratification. To some extent, we need to treat ourselves like children. We need to parent ourselves in this respect and allow ourselves to delay the instant gratification of multitasking in favor of the delayed gratification of an idea really well-developed. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Oh man, so much to unpack there and so many different layers of cool stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that was from Daniel Levitin, who wrote this fantastic book called The Organized Mind. In fact, um, The Organized Mind influenced a lot of my thinking around how we organize knowledge work, um, or at least how I did, you know. And one thing that I realized was that, you know, from reading that book, in your physical sp- you know, space, you have designated locations for everything, right? It's not like right. you put your kitchen, ke- your keys in the kitchen sink and your butter knife, you know, in your bathroom cabinet, you know, life would be a shit show if you did that, you know, it's sure. like, it's not, you know, you don't put your you know, toiletries in the shoe closet and your silverware in the bathroom and you just have designated locations that allow you to remember where things are at. And that's one big problem with information management. But the funny thing is that even that, when you're dealing with knowledge work, is challenging because of the fact that the number of locations in which you could store something in a digital space are fucking infinite. Like there's no end to it. It's like, oh, here's, I can create another Dropbox folder, another Dropbox folder. I can bookmark 300 things. I mean, this is why I'm such a big proponent of MEM because it really is a place to centralize information. So that that's one sort of first idea I think here is to aggregate the flow of information into one source, whatever mm-hmm. the hell it is. I mean, for you, I mean, a lot of ways you do that with Airtable. I do it with MEM. Um, yeah. You know, that's one big thing that Scott Belsky talked about is he was like, you want to reduce the number of places you have to visit. Yes. And a lot of this can be done through automation. Like that's one of the big things that, you know, talk about is part of the reason automation is so valuable is it prevents you from having to go from place to place. Um, but talk to me about things that, you know, give you instant gratification on the internet, Gareth. 
Oh man, I mean as as trivial as it sounds, like putting a personal post on, you know, social media, personal, not business, and then having, you know, the likes and the the comments roll in, you know. Those little things, we know that those give us those dopamine hits, those instant gratifications. Yeah. And you know, I should say that I keep my personal social media very separate from my professional social media. Uh, so that only the people I know personally are are on my you know personal social media accounts, but you know it still matters to me when they respond to my latest you know quip or uh, you know uh, post. Well, you know, for the sake of an example, we're going to bring up Gareth's latest quip and see what he's about. Oh, gee, I don't even know what I put on there. I try not to do personal. You know that my my uh, mantra is: if it's not making me money, I don't want to. I don't want to Let's waste see. doing it on social media, but I do it anyways. <laughs> Let's see. So here are uh, Gareth's latest posts. Um, oh, and these were three days ago. Hey, this All is right, supposed to be one. personal. This is supposed to be. <laughs> I just well, said uh, yeah, this yeah, personal. Yeah, yeah, no. This is what we're going to do. Um, let's see. Uh, it's. A, I guess it's a good thing that Will Smith doesn't swear in his rap music. <laughs> Come on. That was really funny. Everybody should like that. <laughs> Wait, so why is that? So I didn't even get it. So clearly I'm... Because he know. just slapped Chris Rock, right? Yeah. And then and then he's like, you know, 20 years ago, he's the guy who he was like, you know, I'm so good at my rap that I don't have to swear in it. And that's what makes me so good and unique. And he clearly has uh, some anger management issues. So I thought that was a pretty funny quip. Boom. Uh, let's see. Yeah, you're actually pretty good, man. You're, you're, you're sporadic about this. Well, like, it looks you. like there's like... Nine days between posts. I mean, I probably have a bit more than normal. Um, yeah. So my, my most recent one was my video snowboarding, which was actually pretty fucking cool as far as I'm concerned. That wasn't OK. I saw it. It was really good. If you're not on any social, uh, he put up a pretty sweet little snowboard. Yeah, yeah. you can find Flip. it on Instagram, too, because I have no life and I'm, you know, ridiculous. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I snowboarded well, but that's an example. So I couldn't be posting that while I'm snowboarding. I can't even be thinking about how cool is this video going to look. You know, I had to focus on the thing I was doing in order to even have it look that good. You know, and <laughs> some pros, some snowboarder audience is like, you look like a fucking kook. <laughs> like, don't, you don't look as cool as you think you do. Although I think that turned out pretty cool. I thought it looked great. I mean, I yeah. watched it. I haven't done anything afterwards other than watch it, but yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, okay, so you know the this you know, really it takes us to a point. It's like you know, but imagine if I were prioritizing publishing snowboard videos while I was trying to write one of my books. I mean, that makes no sense whatsoever. Right? Yeah, I mean, think about it. Like, think about you know the first book, right? I, I was surfing all the time. I was almost. I mean, I probably did post a handful of pictures, but the thing is that that all takes away from your ability to sustain focus. So let's talk. You know, so that's that's one huge negative. It, you know, impact is that you just can't get things done um, when you're trying to do so many things, you know, right. Greg McEwen talks about this. He's like, you want to, you know, focus on what you can reasonably get done in a given day. And so that's, that's one thing that happens. So this is something interesting I noticed with people is that, you know, they'll write down like 25, 30, 40 tasks, whatever. Right. Right. And then if you get them to say, okay, like, forget about doing that, write down five tasks, you know, and the reason for this is it turns out that your brain makes progress towards a goal based on the perceived distance towards the goal, which mm. comes from some of the work that Sean Acor did in, uh, I believe, the happiness advantage, right? Mm -hmm. So when you read a to-do list in the morning and there's 20 things on it and you cross off three, you're like, shit, I have 17 more to go. 
But if you have five on the list and you cross off three, you're like, oh, only two more to go. And the funny thing is you can write down like 17 things. You get two of them done and you keep doing that every day. By the end of the week, you get what? 10 things done. But if you write five things down and you get all of them done by the end of the week, you've gotten 25 tasks completed. So ironically, it's about doing less in order to do get more done. Um, But it's not just less. It's less of what's unimportant, more of what's actually important, like prioritizing the essential over the optional, you know, or non-essential. And, you know, whatever it is, essential is, is different to every one of us, right? It's whatever it is that's supporting your professional goals. So distraction is like one of the many consequences of, of information overload and what Mary was talking about. Um, but there are some serious other negative effects that actually hurt your ability to be a clear thinker, um, to think critically, to process information, because that's the other thing. So this is one thing, you know, Mary, my advice to you is actually to consume less, but be more deliberate about what you consume. And instead of taking sort of a haphazard approach, right, of everything that uh, captures your interest, try to approach it with some sort of structured learning goal. It's like, okay, I have this subject. I want to learn about this. So right now, because we're redesigning our community to focus on teaching, I'm actually reading a lot of books about education um, and instructional design and looking at, okay, how do you design experiences that lead to real changes for people? And so even the way that I'm filtering right now, when I'm reading anything related or non-related, you know, I just finished reading this book called The Hidden Habits of Geniuses. Um, and I was noticing a lot of things and I was like, oh, this is actually really relevant to what I'm doing. So even when you're taking notes, you want to filter for what is important to you at the moment. So Mm -hmm. that way you become more deliberate, but you can, you know, and and of course, like there are going to be things that might be interesting later. And we'll talk a little bit about how to deal with, you know, the things you're curious about, but can't attend to now. Um, you know, cause we need that too. Um, you need to be able to do that, but we'll talk about how you actually do that. But I think that um, the consequences are the, the more dangerous consequences, like productivity declines are actually a really minor consequence of information overload. The bigger ones, I think, affect society at large, you know, like myopic viewpoints, confirmation bias, um, mm-hmm. filter bubbles and echo chambers, uh, all of which have you know huge implications for how we behave as a society. You know, we talked about context and bullshit last week. Um, and the thing is that when you overconsume media, first you, you have no ability to be creative because you don't have time to reflect on and synthesize the information that you process, you know? And so I try to limit, this is one of the reasons I limit myself to one interview a day. And I try to limit the amount of meetings I have with people. Uh, oh mainly my gosh. Because just like, okay, if we don't have to meet, why, why should we? Meetings are the biggest time suck. I, I, this is my personal philosophy. The most valuable thing that you have is your time. And yeah. nobody, I shouldn't say nobody, but very few people in this world will respect it as much as they should. And if you yeah. don't require people to respect your time, they will not do it. And so, yeah, when you're getting, you know, assigned meetings all day long, you have no control over your schedule. I don't, I don't understand how anybody expects you to be productive when half of your workday is spent in meetings, like yeah. what do you, what do you, unless you're paid, literally paid to be coaching somebody directly during that meeting, that's not very productive use, not a very no. productive use of time. Or, you know, the funny thing is that, you know, people say you, you know, fill the time allotted for a given task, right? Um, I worked this company where I, I remember calling in from Costa Rica and I'm listening to the CEO and the VP of marketing discuss the broken air conditioner in the office for an hour. I'm like, 
Oh what God. the hell? What and the funny a thing is, of everyone's this, time. Yeah, and this meeting could have easily been 15 minutes and he's ended up being a two and a half hour meeting every every Monday. And, you know, like, don't meet just because it's Monday. Like, there are a lot of, you know, things people do by default without questioning them. And funny enough, a lot of those are ineffective practices for, you know, you know, that, that are completely antiquated. It's just like, you don't need, if you don't need to meet, cancel the meeting. You know, that's my attitude. And then Mark Cuban yeah. has the best philosophy on meetings. Like, I don't even attend meetings unless somebody's writing me a check. That's a good and, philosophy. Yeah. Mark Cuban's a billionaire, so he knows a thing. I mean, obviously, it's, yeah, it's working out for him. Uh, my personal philosophy on meetings is I have one group, one uh, team meeting with my uh, staff every mm-hmm. week. And any other time they need to get a hold of me, like if there's an emergency, they can Slack message me. If it's an absolute emergency, they have to talk to me right then, then they have my phone number and they can call me and I'll pick up as soon as I'm available. But only yeah. one scheduled meeting for one hour on the on the books every week. Yeah, you'd be surprised. I mean, Naval Ravikant said, talks about this in his podcast on how to get rich without getting lucky. He said that he has huge, you know, um, amounts of white space. And even uh, the guy who's the, the CEO of LinkedIn, I don't remember his name, not Reed Hoffman, but the other guy, uh, Jeff something or other, he has like blocks of white space on his calendar. So think about it like, you know, a guy who's like literally second in charge or first in command at LinkedIn right. is having white space on his calendar. So that's one big thing is white space, but the tendency for a lot of people is in that white space to just fill it with anything and everything. Oh, so so no. a couple of, of things there, right? So I want to come back to strategy later in terms of how we deal with this. But I think that what I'm also concerned about is how information overload leads to myopic consum- consumption habits. Like you have a tendency, right, to consume the same thing. And I, I you know, this is what I said in the article I wrote is that the paradox of information diversity is how myopic it's made our consumption habits. And myopic consumption is an occupational hazard for online marketers, self-help junkies, people who watch political news, and anyone who wants to build an audience for their work. People who read (laughs) self-help books keep reading self-help books. Whether they watch Fox News or CNN, the news they consume becomes the filter through which they see the world. Mm -hmm. And these consumption habits cause people to draw wildly inaccurate conclusions about the world, themselves, and society at large. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you take a, a website like Medium and Medium gives you a very distorted view of what the world is like, because who are the writers on Medium? They're sort of, you know, people like you and me who live in places like Boulder or Silicon Valley or New York. Right. And the thing is that if you go to the middle of the country, it's not like that at all. You know, no, like I remember no. driving down Main Street in Utah thinking, no wonder these people are pissed off. And like <laughs> this place is, you know dead it's it, this is like a ghost town at five o'clock on a tuesday afternoon i mean that's definitely true i think you know for for guys like you and me in particular you know we've kind of grown up in bigger cities yeah um and and kind of been around big city live big city living our whole life so um it's really yeah. un, it's hard for us to even understand what it looks like in rural america but yeah, I, yeah, i'm no. conscious so even, that it's there yeah even rural america like so for, for even you know like suburban america urban america like in the middle of the country is very different there are a lot of, so greg when he went around the country said yeah. that the coasts are not representative of the country when no. andrew yang was here Uh, When he was on his presidential campaign, he said he was like, you don't see what's happening in all these places. And so you have this very distorted worldview of like digital nomads and everybody should start a business and follow their passion. And so I think it's important that we expose ourselves to different viewpoints. But that's one consequence is myopic consumption habits. Of course, when you have myopic consumption habits, then you end up in an echo chamber where you hear people saying the same thing. 
you know, over and over. So this becomes your sort of default view. And then finally, the third consequence of being, you know, in a filter bubble in an echo chamber is that you end up having confirmation bias. So like it all adds up, it just starts to stack up when, so it's funny because it's like information overload and information diversity. The funny thing is, despite the diversity, people tend to primarily consume the same type of content over and over again. And unfortunately, that's largely due to algorithms. Like if you watch YouTube, I don't know about you, like when I watched... I started watching Seth Meyers. The next thing I know, all my recommendations are Trevor Noah, you know, John Stewart, like right. John Oliver, like, and, you know, and, and so that's the thing. You've got to be really careful with that. Um, oh, yeah. But I, and the thing is that it's also very difficult to have any original thinking when you're constantly consuming. Yeah. Like I, I said, I, I read, I remember I read this post that I think Inc. ended up featuring and it was that excessive consumption is what kills creativity. Now, so you're trying to, you know, consume so much that you're synthesizing very little of it, you know, that, right. that was, and which brings us back to the, the sort of full circle of where we started. But, you know, let me turn to you, Gareth. Like, what do you make of this? I mean, in general, I think we as a society overconsume information. We put an we put an emphasis on the ability to learn and we de-emphasize the ability to Think. Uh, have output and create and and think yes yeah i think what we're doing is we're mistaking information for knowledge and knowledge for wisdom yeah i know i've heard you say that or something similar before so break yeah. that down for the audience in case it's the first yeah, time yeah heard. okay so here's here's what i i realized this was when i was teaching the mem course you know it just kind of came out as a phrase and one of the the students thought it was pretty catchy and i was like yeah i guess it, it makes sense i said you know what you consume is information what you capture is knowledge and what you create is wisdom, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you consume something, it's information because until you do something with it, it's not particularly useful. Like I could read a <laughs> hundred books. Like, so yeah, it's like I, it, people take courses, right? They go through all the modules and you probably have a couple of students like this, I'm sure. And some of your area table courses and I'm sure I have people who are like watched every video, but never did anything with it. Right. It's like, oh, right. Cool. Um, and so if you take a course, you don't do any of the lessons, then you don't really have knowledge. You just got more information. Right. And so one, you know, the, the, and so the result of that is nothing often. And so that's why you have all these people who, you know, read a thousand self-help books and their lives are still a mess you know, because they don't actually do right. anything. It's like, there's a certain point. Like I remember walking to the Boulder bookstore at one point and I'm like, what the fuck? Why do I feel like I've read every damn book here in the self-help section? I literally was like, I don't think I need any more of these books. I need to find, I need to go do something with this information. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Information. Um, yeah. Well, at a certain so, point, you have, to, you have to take action or it's meaningless. Like yeah, I mean, that's, then, that's a really good point. Like, why would you buy another book if you haven't yeah. done anything from all of the with books the, that you've read that so far? Actually, yeah, exactly. So that's one way to deal with it. It's like, okay, I haven't done anything with this yet, right? Um, and I think that there's this sort of distinction that I make between personal knowledge management and personal knowledge generation. And I think there's too much emphasis on management and not enough emphasis on generation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the, so that, that's one thing, right? So you've got like all this information that you don't do anything with And so it's not very useful. But the thing is, then when you capture it, when you take notes on it, now capture is about more than just copying and pasting. Like this is something (laughs) that I've really, honestly, this is one of the big lessons I've had this year because like most of us, um, I was pretty much just standard. You know what? I I read a book. I'll take a bunch of pictures of the quotes, import them into Readwise, and I'll call it a day. Um, And we just had Sanka Aarons here who wrote how to take smart notes. And he was like, well, the problem with that approach is what do you do with it? Like you've used, even if you bookmark all these articles that you've read or want to read, you know, and you read them, then what? If you don't do anything with them, so the question is, what do you, how do you do something with information so that it becomes knowledge? And that's where this whole concept of taking smart notes comes in. So, uh, you know, uh, you, you, I kind of, I've, I've you know, talked to you about this, Gareth, a little bit, and you, know, you can find tutorials on my, my YouTube channel for MEM and learn more about this and, and the maximizeyouroutput.com course. Um, I'll include a link. We also have a free free e-course on how to take smart notes that I just created. Uh, but this is something that takes us back to just higher education in general, right? So when you're in school, what do you learn to do? You learn to memorize and regurgitate information, right? which is great for passing tests. It's actually useless for 
practical application everything of everything else knowledge. in life <laughs> yeah no i mean it, for practical application of knowledge memorization is probably one of the most you know like wasteful things right. you can do let me and, ask you this and to prove yeah. this point i'm sure in fifth grade uh well maybe not were you in canada in fifth grade or had you made it no, across was, to the no, u.s no, no I, I was in the u.s did you have the chapter in fifth grade where you had to learn all of the states and their capitals yeah i'm pretty sure that's pretty standard for all, you know, U.S. students for, you know, U.S. history, fifth grade. Can you yeah. personally tell me more than 10 capitals? That would be a 20 percent success rate if you could do 10 capitals for the states. Do you, I don't think just, I even know. I, I didn't even know what the capital of Colorado was. Oh, um, come on, dude. I, it's Denver. I didn't know that until I saw the Capitol building when I went to drop a friend oh, off. Oh, my God, like, you're killing me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what it is in California where we grew up? Sac- Sacramento. Okay, okay, that's good. What is and it I know in Texas? Because that... I knew you were, you came from Texas at one point. Oof, it's not Dallas, is it? It's not Dallas. Um, I don't think it's Austin either. I no, it can't be. It's got to be some. I don't. Is it Fort Lauderdale? No, 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 no. Fort Lauderdale is in Florida. Shoot, see, this is how bad I was at regurgitating fifth grade information. I got a hundred percent on that capitals test. I keep in mind I lived in Texas and I don't remember. I think it's San Antonio. Rice? No, San Antonio. That's probably what it is. We can look this up. Yeah, Sorry the Alamo. All of our the, listeners who are in Texas, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I know the Alamo is in San Antonio, so I think San Antonio is the capital of Texas. Dang, dude! I'm telling you. See, this is the thing. So if, this if is, anybody makes an argument that memorization is useful in terms of retaining information, here we are, unable to <laughs> even even come up with know, three capitals. Well, places that we lived, for God's well, sake. Well, for you, like that, I never lived in Texas, but yeah. No, I'm pretty sure it's San Antonio. See, it's funny. I know that the Alamo is in San Antonio. You know why I know that? Because I went there, you know? Right. So that's the thing, like that's an experience. So it stayed right. Like I right. know that, like I had memories of that because I experienced it. I saw it all that. So what is the capital of Texas? Did you find out? Shit. It's Austin. We suck. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. We're idiots. All right. We're the total. Mo- all right. Apologies to those of you who are in Austin. Oh uh, man. We're a bunch of morons. Yeah. But there you go. I mean, so that, that just proves our point. So that was the thing when I, when I went through the Wealth of the Nations, I realized was, you know, I took an economics class in college. I got a C you know, right, and right. I, you know, did everything. I, I memorized the supply and demand equations. I, you know, highlighted my textbook. But when I took the Wealth of the Nations, I didn't do that. What I did was I went through all my highlights and underlines, and then I wrote them in my, I rewrote them, each one in my own words. Um, and I suddenly made, it made so much more sense. Like, and then I thought about, okay, how does this apply? How does this apply, right? So there are a couple of things you want to think about. One is, okay, I need to reconstruct this knowledge from memory as opposed to just, you know, capturing it. Because when you reconstruct it from memory, you go through what they call retrieval practice and it's hard. It's definitely harder. It, you know, is much slower. Uh, It's more time consuming, but it's more valuable. So somebody saw, you know, when I did the first video on sort of Zettelkast and then Smart Notes, so like, this seems like a lot of effort. I'm like, yeah, it is. Yeah, my, my friend Ryan. <laughs> yeah, my, because my friend, I'm actually trying to learn something, and I'm not just trying to tick a box that says well, no, so, I was productive today. So Ryan Holiday has this note card system, and it's very time consuming and tedious. Yeah, mm. he does physical note cards for all the books that he reads. Wow, and he has ten boxes of this stuff, and he learned that system from Robert Greene, who learned it as a researcher in Hollywood. And Robert, as we talked about, is like the fucking James Cameron of publishing, and he writes one book every ten years and becomes you know the New York Times bestseller. 
And Ryan now writes, you know, like I said last week, he's like the James Patterson of nonfiction book publishing. He just keeps just turning out books and they're all good, which is what's amazing. Um, but the thing is that that system is tedious and it's time consuming. He told me, he said, you know, nine out of 10 times, those note cards lead to nothing. And he right. said, but one of them is enough to build a career off of. Yeah, right. He had the idea for the obstacle is the way, I think four years before he wrote the book, he wrote it down on a note card. I came up with the idea for Unmistakable, the, the second book I did with a publisher, the, the, the framework, the surf metaphor. I wrote that down four years before I ever wrote the book. Um, so what why, I mean, this demonstrates to me the need for people to recall information when they want to recall it. And one of the things that was stated in the question that Mary posed was, how do I you know, let go of these things when I'm afraid that when I close a tab, I'm going to lose it and I'm never going to be able to pick that up again. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and maybe I think part of it is the willingness to lose things and then the willingness to try to remember, you know, the combination of those two things together uh, is important. And, and so as a result, you start to filter a lot more. Um, but yeah, like I, I found that when I'm rewriting these notes in my own words, I can you know, put together, we put, I put together the outline for this episode based on Mary's question in five minutes, because right. I had so many notes on this subject from all the books that I've read, but all of them were in my own words. They were my own sort of interpretations of what I had learned from each one of these people. Um, and, and how I started to think about this it was like drawing, you know, different insights from each person and combining them, um, as right. opposed to trying to just take in information. So that's the first thing. So information becomes knowledge when you, actually, you know, rewrite it when you synthesize it, when you process it, when you think about it, when you reflect on it, you know, it's not knowledge just because you've consumed it. You have to really kind of take the time to understand it. Infor that, that's where I would say is information becomes knowledge when you understand it well enough that you could explain it to somebody else in your words and they'd know what you were talking about. That's really good. Yeah. And you that, think about it, you know, going back to what you were saying earlier with the way that we're taught to learn in yeah. call in school and in as you learn, we don't know shit about Texas or geography apparently. Yeah. And I was yeah, in a, I was in an honors geography, dude. <laughs> like, that, yeah. that that that's on brand. <laughs> All right. Well, right. Well, since, since we did states, let's do countries. Oh god. That's I'm even worse about that. Uh Seoul, South Korea, because I've been there. It's the capital is Paris the capital of France? I'm sure it is. But I'm going to look it up now and probably be wrong. What's the capital of Italy? Oh, shit. I, I don't, I don't know. know. I'm, yeah. I, I'm telling you, I got straight A's in honors geography. I don't know any of this. I can't capital, rattle off the top of my... <laughs> capital of France is Paris. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Italy. Um, yeah, I, I knew it was... I, I should have known that Paris was the capital because I know that's what the Germans invaded... I mean, I, I believe I'm trying to think in, in India. I think Delhi's New Delhi is the capital of India. That sounds right. <laughs> the fact that like I'm Indian and I don't, I can't say that with a hundred percent certainty just proves our point. Dude, I don't even know the capital of, of Canada. They're never going to let me in. <laughs> it's Ottawa. I would have yeah. never guessed that. Yeah, that's right. It is Ottawa. <laughs> Yeah. I would have never. I would have. I would have guessed. Yeah, see, it's funny, right? Ottawa. Yeah. Well, I I couldn't even think. Like I knew all these cities in Canada. I lived in Canada, and I didn't know that. I didn't remember that. You know, so I couldn't saying. recall that. But see, it's because there's so much information in our in our lives that yeah. we never processed, right? Well, that's the thing. So um, I've been. What was it? I've been reading this book called Make It Stick, and one of the quotes they had there was about how rote memorization creates the illusion of knowledge. Yeah. 
So true. You know? And that's one big problem with this is that you're not really playing an active role in the construction of all. So remember what, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, the uh, Bullshit Studies Laboratory guy uh, said last week in that clip that we play, right, about students, John Petrocelli. Uh, so clearly I can't even remember people's names. So memorization is useless, but no, I see the funny thing is I had to remember, I had to think of the concept that I associated him with. Right. right, right. But remember, one of the things he said is that you play an active role in the construction of knowledge, right? It's not just the, inf- and that's the problem with note taking in its current form as most people do it. And so, you know, to marry, like if you have a dozen browser tabs open, maybe you choose one and go deep. Uh, you know, and, and really try to manage that. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that there's one other thing we have to think about, which is, okay, great. So we've given you an idea on how to consume, but then how do you manage all this, which makes a perfect segue into a clip. Take a listen. We're on email too much or this or that, but let's just talk about the value of focus and how to train yourself to focus and why it's important. And the feedback was, wait a second, I don't think you realize how impossible it is to do this. And so I really got interested in this question. Why is it so hard? Like why are why are companies so consistently set up in such a way that it's it's very difficult to actually do the thing they hired you to do, to use your brain and produce value, and it was a massive story, right? That's what I discovered. I needed five years to write it because there are so many different threads that were wrapped up tightly that when you pulled on them, there was this huge, magnificent story that explained why do we work this way? Why is it so bad? What the future is going to hold? Is that my buddy Cal? Yeah, well, have you guys actually spoken yet? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not yet. But we're going to be buddies soon. Mark my words. No, yeah. you connected us. Thanks for that. Um, we've he's gonna we're gonna we're gonna reconnect when when it makes sense. But cool. Um, when I first was introduced through your podcast to the ideas that Cal, you know, espouses, I I was very resistant to them. You know, basically, he talked about this idea about social media being so destructive to our our personal and professional development. And I was just like, no, 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 I, I care too much about my dopamine hits. I can't. <laughs> I could never imagine a life without social media. I know that's not exactly what he's talking to uh, in as many words here in this clip. But I, I just have to say that for me personally, having slowly embraced those ideals it's made a world of difference in my productivity. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think for, for anybody who does, like even my, yeah. I remember I took 30 days off of social and I was just like, wow, you know, I, you know, like upgraded the cabinets of my house. Man, I found all sorts of things to do that were just weird. Like I yeah. learned, I read a lot. I remember I redecorated my apartment. I was like, wow, well, all right, cool. And but you're far from the first guru who is, you know, guru, uh, who is, has, uh, has made that choice to go off yeah. social for, either a short or an extended period of time. There's a well, reason for that. The problem is that he he actually talked about this in one of his recent episodes of the Deep Work podcast. Yeah, where he said, you know, people say, oh, I'm trying to do a digital detox. And he's like, yeah, that's the problem. He said, because, you know, when you think about it as a detox, you're thinking about it from the standpoint of addiction, as opposed to a digital declutter, just the framing alone. So he said, you know, what I'm saying is, you know, take these tools out of your life for 30 days and, you know, you declutter, like just delete everything and say, okay, you know, is my life noticeably better or worse without these things? And if it's not any better or any, any worse, then you don't, you know, bring it back into your life. Um, because there's always something to be on, right? It's like, oh, everybody right. should be on this TikTok, whatever. It's like, okay, you know, and again, it takes the idea, even with social, you can actually choose to go deep rather than 
you know, like beyond everything, I'm like, all right, I doubled down on Twitter for a while because it was, you know, where I met a lot of people. Then I doubled down on Facebook for a brief period because I was like, oh, great. People are, I'm getting feedback on my writing to write this book. So I'll use Twitter or or Facebook. But um, the thing is this whole idea of ubiquitous, you know, sort of be everywhere, uh, you know, on social mindset is nonsensical. It doesn't make any it doesn't make any sense for the majority of people, even though people like Gary Vaynerchuk talk about this. It's like, well, yeah, Gary Vaynerchuk has an army of fucking <laughs> slaves, basically, you know, <laughs> desperate for his attention. Right. Who are doing all of this for him. You know, it's right. like Gary basically probably says, hey, I have an idea. It's like he records a video. He probably texts it to somebody and somebody else probably takes it from there. Oh, you know, yeah. I doubt Come it. on. He's not manually uploading his videos to social, which brings yeah, us man. to the other point that nobody should be manually doing anything on social. Like if you're if you're relying on social to run your business, then you should uh, you should definitely have automated processes that puts that up for you. And there's no reason yeah. not to. There's so many different platforms. Well, so that's the the big thing here is this all kind of takes us into uh, a discussion of workflow, which is okay. How do you you know navigate all this information? So Mary made a good point. How do you keep track of it all, right? And I think that I probably have to deal with more information than you do between podcast guests, you know, books, uh, you know, things that I'm writing, things that I'm interesting, things that I'm reading. And a lot of it has to do with sort of filtering and deciding that the overwhelming majority of what I'm coming across is irrelevant um, and limiting myself to X number of pieces of content. I mean, part of it is just putting in some parameters that's easier said than done. And we'll give you some tools to do that with. Um, Yeah. So the browser tab thing is kind of mind boggling to me. Like I'll be on meetings with people. I'm just like, how how do you get anything done? You have thirty browser tabs open. Mm. Like, what do you? What's in each one of those browser tabs that all of them need to be open? Nothing. That's the other thing. It's like this. You know, gives you a sense of okay, what is important. Um, right. But the this is actually a, also a big workflow design issue, which you know, brings up uh, you know perfect time for another clip from Cal. Once we now understand again that the issue is this workflow, the huge realization you have is that you're not going to fix these problems in your inbox, right? You're not going to fix these problems by having better uh, inbox etiquette. You're not going to fix it with batching. You're not going to fix it with turning off notifications. You're certainly not going to fix it by saying, I'm just not going to use email because if the hyperactive hive mind is how your organization works right now, if you're not an email, you're not collaborating. You're, everything's going to get stuck. It's not going to work. You're going to either get fired or forced back on the email again. So once you realize it's the workflow is the problem, you realize, oh, if we're going to solve this, we have to go below the inbox and fix the underlying processes. And that's the huge message in this book is that if you actually go through and list out, these are actually the processes that are relevant to my job or my work. I mean, you built you built a, a, you know a million dollar business off of that you know forty seven second clip. Um, you know, and it's true. This, this is largely a process thing. So part of this is actually coming up with a process that you follow consistently. Um, so I yeah. mean, for me, when it comes to consumption, I have a very methodical process. It's the same for everything, right? So when I read a book, I highlight an underline things. I write down, you know, a series of what uh, Sunk Aaron's calls fleeting notes, where I'm like, okay, on page X, it says Y. On page, you know, it says this and i'll do maybe about 15 or 20 of those for the books that i read that i that i want that i know have information that i'll probably want to use at some point and or that you know is interesting enough to me that i'm like all right this is cool like i i want to capture this um 
but I'm filtering. And then of course, because I'm rewriting it in my own words, that's when it becomes knowledge. But knowledge becomes wisdom when you go out and take what you've learned, synthesized it and processed it, rewritten it in your own words, take the, taking the time to reflect on it, and then you go and apply it to your own life and see what the results are, right? Um, and that's the thing. So everything you're hearing in this podcast, for example, you, know, you could listen to it and that's just information. You, know, you listen to it and get on with your life. It's like, great, you know, you've just contributed to the problem of information overload. Right. Whereas you might be better off saying, okay, I'm going to listen to the first 20 minutes and give some thought to what these guys said. And I'm going to, you know, just write down my thoughts on it uh, in a journal. And I'm going to take some time to think about that. And uh, then what I'm going to do after that is I'm going to write about it. And then I'm going to go test it out. And then I'm going to come back and revise the knowledge so that it's my knowledge, not, you know, Srini's information. So that's the thing is that you basically take it and you modify it so that it fits the context of your life. And, you know, and so for me, that's, that's one thing. So uh, then as far as dealing with you know, podcast guests and everything else, believe it or not, it's Gareth's business that solves that problem for me, um, where a lot of it is automated. I don't you know, send emails to podcast guests to let them know about upcoming you know, episodes like if they just get a link that's automated automatically sent to them when I put it into a spreadsheet, they get a link that I automate, you know, when I notify them of their episodes live and even loading the content into social. Now I've built automations to do that. And then as far as what was Mary's talking about, like when I come across information that's interesting, I just capture it all in mem so I can come back to it at any time. It's really in my way. If I, anything that I want to remember, I can, um, you know, and I can always find it because it's all in one place as opposed to browser tabs, which to me, the a big thing was aggregating the flow of information. And uh, I don't know, I, I may have told this story last time about my parents in the stupid grocery store in Houston. Maybe we talked about that. Um, we're on so. the optimizing for laziness. Well, I wrote about this in a newsletter. So uh, when, so when my parents uh, were, uh, when we were growing up, we lived in Texas and you, when you're living in College Station in your you know, late 80s, not Is a lot the of capital? Is there. So the capital of Texas? No, no, I no. Can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure now Sorry. we pissed off all our lizards in Texas. Yeah, um, yeah. But the thing is that we would drive to Houston to buy Indian groceries. Okay. And the thing is that we had to go to a different grocery store to get like every other item on the list. It was like, oh, they don't have this, but, but they have it at this other grocery store. I'm like, why don't doesn't one store just have everything we need? Like, why could we have to go? And so, like, literally, there was nothing my sister and I dreaded more than that trip to Houston because it was an all-day oh, affair. Yeah. And, you know, you leave College Station. There's nothing between College Station and Houston. And it's just, like, you know, cows for miles on end. And me and my sister, like, arguing in the backseat with our parents yelling at us right. to shut the hell up. But you get there, and it's like, okay, wait a minute. And then, you know, you go to an electronics store to buy something. The only saving grace was that we got a really good Indian lunch out of it. Um, oh, because Houston has really good Indian food. But, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, but it's a bit like visiting. Just imagine if you had to go to a different grocery store to get every item on your list. It's like, oh, I got to go to the bakery to get bread. Sure. I got to go to the dairy to get eggs. I got to go to the butcher to get meat, which That's is how, how we did it. It's funny used because, to yeah, it was used to be that way, right? Because you yeah. specialized, like, I'm the butcher, I'm the... Yeah. I'm the whatever. But just right? imagine that you had to go and buy each individual item. Mm -hmm. at a different place. Like I'm going to the peanut butter store to buy peanut butter. I'm going to go to the, the, you know, cereal store to buy cereal. That would be ridiculous, but that is how most people manage information on the internet. They have so many places they have to go to get the information that they need. And which kind of takes us back to the beginning, which is like, okay, centralizing information is a big part of this. When you centralize the information, 
that you need access to, that makes a world of difference. Um, yeah. And you can build automation so that everything flows into one place. You know how to do that, Gareth. Um, you can have very deliberate capture systems. But I think a big part of it is you don't actually have to be technologically sophisticated. You can do this in very simple ways. Like that is another thing that's really important to emphasize. That's true. You can do this with pen and paper. I mean, like if, you know, Mary has 50 browser tabs open, one thing you could say is, okay, out of these browser tabs, which are important enough to write down? Because if you write them down, there's numerous advantages on writing on paper, which writer Carol talks about on the bullet journal. It, by default, you're restricted to the amount of information that you can capture on pen and paper, which forces you to prioritize and be much more deliberate about what you capture. Then you could be like, all right, I, you know, I know what this was on this website. So I think it's it's about really coming down to the point of like design systems that allow you to filter for the things that are genuinely interesting to you, that force you to be deliberate and limit the amount that you can capture. This is where pen and paper comes in. And then, you know, prioritize out of those things. So it was like, what is it? Filter, capture, prioritize. You know? And I think the biggest issue is the front end. Most people don't filter. Hang you time. know what I, I call gotta that? Refill, I got to refill some wine. Oh, we pause. We're pausing. Pausing for wine. Pause for wine. All right. All right. Yeah, I was so, gonna I was gonna kick off right there. You mind if I pick that up? Go for it. All right. All right. Oh, make sure there's no tinkle sound in the background. It sounds like you're peeing. Yeah. <laughs> All right, here we go. You All ready? Right. Yep. All right, so you know what I call that though is a single source of truth. So this idea that we have all this information living in all these different softwares. This is where I think the true power of automation comes in. And it's funny because I'm known in some circles as being the Airtable expert. But in fact, I think it's like bigger than that. Airtable is simply a software that allows us to uh, consolidate this information. But I tend to be more software agnostic than that, even though my branding wouldn't would suggest otherwise. What I'm far more fascinated in personally is finding a way to consolidate this information into one place. Because why would you, and to your original points, Rennie, why would you have 30 different browser tabs open when you should have one and all that information could be in that one space? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah, I, absolutely. Well, I, I just, so yeah, I think it's an issue of not knowing how to make all that information appear in one place. Yeah. So there are a couple of tools that I use, you know, uh, that I, I wanted to share that have been really beneficial for me. Yeah. Um, so one is uh, I use a browser called Sidekick, which is really helpful for dealing with tab clutter because it allows you to organize things into workspaces and work sessions. So you can be like, all right, this is my you know sort of work session. Um, so that's been really helpful. Um, the other idea that is is really useful is something called a stimulus queue. And a back burner, you know, two things that come from Todd Henry, who has been a, a guest here before, as well as uh, Scott Belsky's book, Making Ideas Happen. So the stimulus, stimulus cues is exactly you know, what Mary's talking about. It's like You've got all this stuff that you're interested in. So part of it is, you know, just saying, OK, like I have all this stuff I'm interested in. Let me just capture it all in one place and then set aside a specific time when you're going to go through it. The mm -hmm. other thing that you can do is have what Scott Belsky calls a back burner. And so what you know, he says about the back burner is that it just keeps your ideas and possible future actions you might take to make those ideas happen 
in one place. And then he even suggests doing sort of a recurring monthly backburner review. And he said, you know, ritualize the time that you spend revisiting half-baked ideas that might someday transform your work or life. And the funny thing is, like, I mean, that, that honestly, like, I can't tell you how many hundreds of half-baked ideas that I've had. I mean, like the idea of a book based on surf metaphors was a half-baked idea I wrote down before anybody ever wanted to publish it. So I, I put it down in a notebook and four years later, when my writing coach Robin is like, oh, uh, you know, what do you think about surfing as an organizing metaphor? I'm like, that's convenient. I actually have that entire structure written down already in a notebook. And the funny thing is, I didn't even have to look back at the notebook because I wrote it down. I remembered it. Um, you know, pretty much all of it. And so that, those are, those are two big ones. Of course, I'm, you know, mem is my go-to. I am a huge fan of mem, um, for right. capturing information. I, I think Airtable to me is great for managing process and workflow, but I think as far as managing content and knowledge, mem is hard to beat because, you know, for the kind of things that Mary's talking about, right. Bookmarking, you know, snippets, stuff like that. Um, the more, again, like my goal with mem is really to get to universal mem where I don't use anything else. You know, if I could do everything <laughs> within mem, that's what, you know, and I'm, I'm sure the founders of mem are very like thrilled about this idea. I'm like, of course, I'm like, they're I, like, yeah, I was, let's do that. <laughs> well, I, I need you guys to build a few things to make that possible. We're close. Like I'm very close, like to the point where I can pretty much get everything into mem mm-hmm. and not have to leave it. Um, I just need to get other people to do the same. Like now when people want me to share information with them, I don't actually send them emails. I share a mem. Right. Right. Which, yeah. which is, which is exasperating for me who doesn't know mem. And I'm like, what, what the hell is this? What is, what do I do with this? Uh, well, all you do, all you have to do is show up and click on a link. But the thing is all the information you need for this episode is right there. Like you can click right. on links and everything. Right. So, you know, I think that the big thing here is really, you know, looking at this from the lens of two things, like one, you know, what can you eliminate that's not as important as you think it is. Like, I think we tend to overemphasize the importance of oh, yeah. the content that shows up in our lives. Um, and then the other is, okay, now that I've decided what to eliminate, how do I create a process that allows me to synthesize, reflect on, and apply this information so that it evolves from knowledge into wisdom? Mm. And I think that that's where I, w- I would really, you know, say you will start to find these issues getting resolved. Um, and look, the thing is that we're not immune to any of this. I'm sure I clicked on Facebook once or twice during this episode, mainly for the sake of an example. Um, but I'm sure I, I did even when Gareth was like, you know, talking to me and I'm, we're both on video and I'm sure one of the two of us has like picked up our phone or something like that. You know, so we're not immune to the things that we're telling you. We've just made an effort to try to make these things part of our lives uh, as much as possible. Like, I don't think we're anywhere as near as hardcore as Cal Newport. No, Cal seems no. pretty hardcore. And the results speak for themselves. I mean, you they can do. kind of, you know, you kind of look at that and you're like, all right, so we can borrow from that. I mean, the goal here isn't for you to become like a Cal Newport or, or anybody else, but to really look at what you can learn from them. And I think to me, that's, I think when you stop confusing information with knowledge and wisdom, that goes a long way to dealing with, you know, digital overwhelm. You layer on top of that all the sort of productivity strategies of good systems, eliminating distractions, you know, like, you know, creating spaces that facilitate the behavior you want. But then you have this underlying layer. Because once you do all of that, if you're still kind of trapped in this information consumption mode where you're consuming a lot, but creating nothing or consuming, but not learning, like, and as you've learned, two idiots, you know, who... <laughs> have college degrees 
They don't even know the fucking capitals of the states they grew up in. Like that's that's how how bad this issue is. So for the record, yeah. everybody, I do know the capitals of the states I grew up in. Yeah, you only grew, that's easy. That's because he grew up in one state. How many of you? How many of you who grew up in one state? If you grew up in only one state, then you don't remember the capital. I'm sorry to tell you, you're an idiot. Yeah, the, I think that's the that's the lowest bar that we could possibly set, right? If you don't know the capital of the one state you grew up in, I don't I mean, know. I didn't know. That, I like I said, I didn't know the capital of the state that I lived in. But you know, and as saying. an adult, yeah. But well, yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, <laughs> I knew that I knew that Sacramento was the capital of California. I can't you believe know, I didn't. Really, know. When we point a finger at someone else, we have three pointing back at ourselves. Yeah. Well, yeah. Come on. Think about it. We couldn't name the capitals of countries. <laughs> we couldn't name the capitals of states. And we were both in honors geography. Oh, well, you were on. I don't think there was honors geography in high school and we didn't have one. But anyways, I was an honor student, so it should imply. All I did was memorize a map. Yeah. Let's I mean, see, that's what I'm saying. No, I go back to what you were saying. That's useless. It's a useless way to learn to memorize stuff. The, the amount of stuff that I had to memorize when I was a kid that actually contributed to me productively in my adult life, I think is, is minimal. And the sad thing is I came from a family of educators who promoted that kind of learning. That's the saddest thing, but they didn't know any better, you know? Um, Well, you know, but isn't that their responsibility? I'm sorry. Like, I'm not trying to be like harsh on my, my mother who made her career around educating children, but and, and granted, my mother also educated kindergartners. That was her uh, That was her, <laughs> her age range. And maybe yeah. memorization is required at that point so that you have a building, a foundation with which to build upon. But I don't know. There has to be some responsibility there because memorization yeah, is an, sad. Yeah, I mean, we, we could do an entire episode on education. Do you know how many? We have so many cl- interesting clips from different guests talking about this. I mean, yeah, we, maybe we should do a discussion on education reform. I mean, both of us are kind of, you know, interesting byproducts of education that should have worked and it didn't the way it was supposed to. <laughs> and we both were both children of educators. You know, my parents met when they were teaching at Catholic school together. Yeah. And my dad's a professor. So like, yeah, yeah. yeah, it'd be interesting that that actually would be a good episode. It's like, you know, the perspective on higher education from two people who were raised by educators. Oh, man. But here's the thing. I have a lot of high education clients and I don't want to totally shit on their business model. But uh, hey, you know what? Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're not shitting on a business model. I mean, but we need to talk about the things that that matter when it comes to that, because I think if anything we learn from this episode is that information doesn't equate to knowledge. Right. Um, it's not enough just to give somebody a degree and say bye-bye. But that, my friends, sounds like the perfect topic for another episode. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great topic for another episode. Um, so, Mary, thank you so much for uh, sending your voicemail. You gave us a lot to talk about. And, uh, you know, this was actually a fun topic because we both have a lot to say about it. Gareth built a business dealing with this issue. And I have pretty much used all of this. I mean, at this point, I'm kind of building a business from some of it, too. He uh, is so, with MAM, yeah. yeah. MAM so consulting. If you, if you want to learn more about uh, my approach to knowledge management, you can learn more at MaximizeYourOutput.com. Um, and if you go to MaximizeYourOutput.com slash smartnotes, all one word, you can get our free note-taking course uh, on how to take smart notes and how to manage knowledge. Uh, and uh, yeah, so if you have any questions, as always, feel free to leave us a voicemail like Mary did. We will play your voicemail on air. And if you don't want us to play your voicemail on air, but you have a question, just tell us. 
and we won't play the voicemail on air. We'll just read your <laughs> question out loud. But if you want, we'll give you a shout out. Um, and if you have any friends, tell them to subscribe because the more people that subscribe, the better, because, you know, the world needs more people thinking like me and Gareth, because, you know, we want people to have myopic viewpoints. <laughs> yeah, please be myopic. Think like us. And uh, and yeah, we'll all just live yeah. in a bubble together. Consume yeah. more and of our media. <laughs> that is and that right there is the whole point is be deliberate about what you consume and question what you consume. Uh, Gareth, anything else to add? No, I think we overdid it. Hope we got your question answered, Mary. If we didn't, let us know and we'll take another swing at it. Yeah, if we couldn't answer your question in an hour, then Gareth and I need to have a conversation about our own competence and our own in, uh, and our <laughs> own ability anyway. to, <laughs> uh, and our own ability to actually create and develop knowledge and wisdom. So yeah, yeah. For everybody listening, we'll wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.